Now, if you feel like you can never get on top of your back of house ops, you'll want to hear about our sponsor for this season, Loaded. Loaded's hospitality management software has changed the game for hospitality performance in New Zealand, and they've just arrived in Australia to help you do the same. Their everything-in-one-place platform helps you master your reporting inventory, simplify your recipe and menu management, reduce your cogs, and become an epic central hub that immediately puts you in control. I've seen Loaded's impact firsthand, and if you're running a bar, pub, restaurant or cafe, you need to reach out to their team. Check them out at loadedhub.com. I'm well, Sean. How are you? Mate, fantastic to have you on the show, especially as, you know, we met each other for the first time a couple of weeks ago in Queensland for, if people have listened to about five or six episodes back with Uma Nguyen, then we went to this amazing seafood showcase. So ever since then, I've really wanted to have you on the show. So it's great to have you on, mate. Let's let's start really with talking about how you started out in your culinary career. Obviously, the first time that I sort of got to got to see you was on Ready Steady Cook all those years ago. But how did you really start your relationship in the hospitality industry and get to the point you are now? Oh, look, I started, I, I sort of was one of those people who knew that I wanted to be a chef from when I was a little kid. So that's all I ever wanted to do. And I, I just turned 51 this year and I still want to do it. So that's good news. I picked the right thing. But it's, it's those things I... Grew up on the Sunshine Coast on a farm. I was surrounded by great food, you know, growing up. And, and that's, that was, I guess, a lot of my inspiration. But when I, I finished high school, I'd done everything in high school that had anything to do with cooking. So, you know, I was fairly sure I did, you know, I did French, I did art, I did biology, I did cooking. And they forced me to do English and maths, which I'm grateful for now, but probably didn't appreciate very much at the time. But I, you know, Moved straight from the Sunshine Coast down to, to Brisbane. I was a vegetarian when I was a teenager. So, you know, I contacted the only vegetarian restaurant in Brisbane at the time and asked if I could please, please, please have an apprenticeship. And they gave me one. So, and that's where it all began. So, I stayed there for 18 months or so. And then in that time, I'd had a chance to go to, to Chef College and meet a whole lot of other kids and realized that if I really wanted to be serious about being a chef, I needed to go and work somewhere where I was cooking meat. So, you know, a little little BYO in Milton called Chevaliers and apprenticeship there. And so since then, it's just been really a matter of, you know, I kind of lived in Brisbane for many years and then went off travelling like most chefs do, did Australia and then went all around the world and then ended up coming back and moving back to the Sunshine Coast, which was my home and where all my friends were. And, and been working here ever since in, in various capacities, I suppose. My first, you know, big sort of job, I suppose, in, in Noosa was being head chef of Ricky Ricardo's, which was a beautiful restaurant on the river. And, and that's where I spent about six or seven years and I learned a lot in that job there. That was kind of the, that big time, big learning curve of, of running a busy restaurant and having an opportunity to cook really good you know, lovely food and having good customers. So, mm. yeah, it, it, about a couple of years into that, I, you know, I was asked to go and do the Ready Steady Cook thing. And that was back in the day when there was no such thing as celebrity chefs. Yeah. You know, there was like Huey, 
Huey was on the TV and, uh, you know, and Peter Russell Clark and people like that. Yeah. <laughs> they were the celebrity chefs. Yeah. And I was asked, you know, I think someone dobbed me in from Noosa who, who, you know, they got, they kind of, when they, when they bought the rights to do Ready Steady Cook in Australia, their focus was they said, oh, we want chefs from all over Australia, different cities. And they went, oh, okay, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. And somebody went, somebody said, oh, we should get someone from, someone from Noosa. That's a real foodie place. And so someone dobbed me in and said, oh, you should talk to Matt. He might be good at it. And so they rang me and said, you know, do you want to do this show? And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> it's not really my thing. And uh, so I sort of knocked it back at first. And then I, I talked to a few people and they're like, oh, you should at least go for the audition, just the experience. And then I did the audition and, and then they rang me back and said, yep, you're one of the chefs. And, you know, that was that oh shit moment of, oh, I've actually got to do this now. Yep. But it was a huge amount of fun. It was great. You know, that, that none of us, I don't think, at the time, it's all those guys, Adrian Richardson, and, you know, we were just being chefs that could cook and could talk as well. And that was, I guess, you know, that where, where that came into it. We, you know, and we all started off. But, yeah, I don't think any of us particularly like being called celebrity chefs. <laughs> what was actually hard about that show, Matt? Was that a hard show to actually be a part of and, and, and come up with new ideas just sort of on the spot? Or did you find that actually going through that process of producing a show like that actually helped you in, you know, your own day-to-day restaurant life? Yeah, it really did. And it was amazing, you know, the, the funny thing about that show, you'd speak to people and, and they go, oh, yeah, you knew what was in the bag and you, you had more than 20 minutes. But the truth was that show was exactly how it came across. <laughs> we re- used to record three shows a day. So Whoa. We had an idea. That was how fast-paced it was. God. They would record a show in an hour and a half, clean the kitchen down and bang in, you'd be to do the next show. And so it, it was, there was no stuffing around and you, you literally didn't know it was in the bag and you only had 20 minutes and you had to make four, have four things on plates at the end of that 20 minutes. And the 20 minutes went, you know, felt like about two minutes. But it was one of those ones where at, at the time that I was doing it, I was working at Ricky's and I was constantly, we were constantly changing menus and it was really fast. And, and every day, one of the things about that place was what was expected of me was to every day was a kind of a tapas, you know, Mediterranean sort of restaurant. And it was expected that every day there would be a tapas special, entree special, main special, cheese special and dessert special Wow! every single day. And if you put specials on there, they would be a thing that would sell out. And so it was kind of like writing a new menu every single day. And one of the things about Ready Steady Cook that it taught me was to kind of trust your instincts a little bit. It was kind of like, because if I now if I sit down to write a menu for someone, I'll dwell on it for weeks sometimes. Be like, oh no, I could do that. Oh no, but I'll do that. And on that show, at no time to, to think. It was just purely, you know, I need to get four dishes on those plates, or I'm going to look like an idiot. And so you just do it, and and most of the time worked out. Sometimes there were terrible disasters. Which you know they, you just kind of threw lots of herbs on top of it to hide the fact that it was not cooked or whatever. It was yeah, it really gave me the lesson in just trusting your instinct and and backing yourself and not dwelling on things. Just going okay, yep, this is what I'm doing. Man, I was sort of thinking over the last over the last twenty years in in food media on on TV, 
we've sort of lost that ability to actually cook, you know, with people like in a ready, steady cook environment. There's obviously things like MasterChef, but there's nowhere where, you know, a chef is training someone who's a, who's a you know, first timer or has little kind of cooking skills and that kind of stuff. And, and my concern is, I suppose, we're getting, we're getting an environment where people who aren't in the industry less and less likely to cook for themselves and, they, and they're losing that skill set. Do you think we should bring back a show like Ready, Steady, Cook in order to sort of show people that they can cook for themselves, they can use different skills because they're, you know, teamed up with a really great quality chef? Yes, please. I'd love Ready Steady to come back. I'd be straight in there if they if they wanted me. I I think look, you know, yeah. I think one of the things I guess about being a contestant on Ready Steady Cook was they des- they they weren't generally there to to learn new cooking skills. They were generally nutters who just wanted to get their head on a TV. This <laughs> of them were lovely, but some were insane. But the majority, you know, majority of the time you'd sum them up, you'd meet them beforehand and you could pretty much work out whether they were going to be, they if they knew what a, an onion was or not, if they didn't know. <laughs> and you'd generally just stand them in the corner and go, right, you know nothing, you just stand there and pick parsley, please, and then you do everything else yourself. Mm. But it was the spontaneity and everything was fun, and, it, and but it was... I guess for, it was more about with that show, what I liked about it was it was pure fun and it was more about showing people, giving them an idea that if they if they had some broccoli and some chicken and an orange and whatever in their fridge, then they could potentially make this thing. And so it was, I guess the idea of it was to kind of try and spark their, their interest and their, you know, spontaneity in cooking and and joy of cooking i guess that's what that's the message i suppose is that but one of the problems with a competitive cooking show where everyone's stressed and crying and everything like that is what that does to people is they start to feel as though that's what cooking is Mm -hmm. and to me cooking is fun and it's not you know i cook dinner every night for my family and i love it i don't i don't go oh i've got to cook dinner i go yeah i get to cook dinner so it's about kind of looking at it in a different light and going, actually, it's not, it's, it's actually a fun thing to do. It's a rewarding thing to do. And yeah, perhaps, you know, a show like that was really good in that respect because it got people excited about food instead of fearful of it. Hmm. So what are you, what are you sort of up to now? Like we've talked a lot about, you know, your past and everything you've done, but you're doing, you're doing so many great things now. Like what, what sort of occupies your time in the hospital industry now? Well, it's funny. It's really hard to define because my job's got so many different parts to it. But, you know, over the last 10 years or so, I've really spent a lot of time traveling from one place to the other and, and working. I guess a lot of what I do is, is traveling to different regions and almost deciphering the ingredients of that region in putting together a lunch or a dinner or whatever it happens to be or even going and doing a food festival where you find out all the different producers of that region and then you talk them up in, a, in cooking demonstrations on a stage so that people understand who those who the people are the, the stuff and stuff in that area. But as well as that, over the last, you know, 10 years or so, it's been lots of different, so many different things. I work with, you know, with high schools to kind of try and, inspire teenagers to to get involved in food go and do I, i'm going next week to do a paddock to plate 
lunch with the or dinner with the kids at Gympie Gympie State High School because they've got their own school farm. So they're growing actually growing their own beef and we're using that in the dinner where they're growing their own chooks. We're using those in the dinner. Wow. And I just dropped into the garden. Yes, their farm yesterday. They've got all the brassicas growing, so cauliflowers and broccoli and cabbages. And yeah. So that's something that I've been doing for quite a few years with, you know, going in and doing things like that where you're working with kids because I'm sort of feeling like, you know, working with a lot of apprentices in the last many years and seeing that there's no retention rate in apprentices these days they kind of start and they go oh no i don't want to do that anymore it's trying to find the kids right from the start and show them that it actually is a fun job it can be really rewarding and satisfying and and it's good creative work finding those kids and inspire trying to you know get them g'd up get them into the industry mm-hmm. uh, so that's part of it i also write a lot of recipes for people and write articles for magazines and things like that so a pretty varied diet in what I do for work these days, which is nice. Uh, do you enjoy, you know, having that varied diet, like in doing different things now, like rather than, you know, maybe working in a hotel environment where you're, you know, looking after a brigade of chefs or, or you know, a, a hospitality group or something like that? Do you like that variability that you now have? Yeah, there would be something that said to be said for just going to work and doing your job. To be honest, sometimes I dream of that, but at the same time, I don't think I probably would get a bit bored with that. I, I, it is nice to be able to. It, it's it's a lot harder because there's so many different moving parts to what I do. I'm always there's to in in order to get to the you know well, the paddock to plate dinner at you know Gimpy State High. There's you know. 87 emails and you know so many different parts to getting that to happen because you write a menu and then a week you know a week later they'll bring you and say oh all the cauliflowers got eaten by grubs or something like that and then you're changing the menu again so then you you know it's kind of there's a lot of different it's not just as simple as going here's the menu let's cook this go there's logistically it's a lot harder but Mm. at the same time it's being forced into those situations of having to come up with menus, especially when you've been, but I've been doing things like, you know, going to a place and doing the same thing at the same time of year for five years. Like next week I'm in Rockhampton. I'm doing the helicopter rescue dinner that I do there every year. Six course degustation for about 200 people. And I've done it. This is, I just looked at the menus yesterday. That's the sixth year of doing it. And it's usually the same people. So every year I feel an obligation to come up with a completely different six things that they've never seen before to make them excited about it. And so, you know, but what that does is it actually drives my creativity. If I was, if I didn't have that and, it, and often I, I discover lots of things about myself and food and what works and what doesn't work by being thrown into those situations. Mm. So, you know, in a way that that's kind of good. I like the fact that, I'm always being challenged. I've always got, you know, the next thing to, to try and improve on or learn from or, you know, and I'm always meeting new producers as well that I can slip all their little bits and pieces in there so that I can tell their stories while I'm doing that. Mm. I, want to, I want to talk about the community aspect of what you do a bit later on in this podcast, but I just want to, I want to take a bit from what you said there around retention rates of apprentices and obviously – when we met the other week in, in Brisbane, that was, you know, an apprenticeship showcase, right, with Uma and, and her team. Yeah. What what do you think we can do better as an industry to make sure that we actually do retain 
apprentices within the industry because you know once they're in like we need to try do our best to try and keep them in keep them engaged and keep them you know have the ability to have a great career in this industry which we both love like what do you think we can do better as an industry it's a really tough one because the the people that you're teaching have to want to be you know be good at what they do as well i know that when i was an apprentice it was you know, you would work any hours that you were told to work and you just work, you know, you're always doing big weeks and and you push yourself because you really wanted to be the best at what you were doing. And there were so many chefs that are my age that went through that. These days it's kind of a little bit, you know, like I'm doing my 38 hours and if I do three seconds over, you're paying me for it and everyone knows their rights and that's good. That's, I'm not saying that's mm. a bad thing, but at the same mm. time, it's kind of like there's no like, oh, I'll stay behind and make pasta because I really want to make pasta and learn how to do it and become really good at it. There doesn't seem to be a huge amount of that, but that maybe and, – and then chefs are under the pressure to not keep their staff back any longer than doing overtime or being there for any longer because then they're going to get their butts kicked by, you know, whoever's employing them for – labor costs so it's a it's a really tough one i think what i always try to do you know you saw, you saw me at that the the fish thing and and we were you know they brought a bunch of us chefs there to come up with some food and work with the apprentices there as mentors for them and to me you know i sort of went okay what can i do i'll do i'll take all these interesting bits and pieces with me to use to make up a canapé to show these three kids I'm going to be working with to try and get them excited about it. And so I took, I have live on a property and I've got 10 different varieties of avocados. So I took all 10 and I wrote on that on each of them with Nico pen, what they were called. And I showed the kids and then we ate all the different types of avocados all at once. So they could try all the different flavors and textures of all the different ones. And to me, you know, that's what when I was an apprentice, that would have been just blowing my mind they seemed, you know, mildly interested. Uh, <laughs> they actually seemed. The funny thing about it is that sometimes when you're talking to any teenagers, you feel as though, like, they just their eyes glaze over and there's, there's you know, there's nothing there. Mm. But you know, I know from experience that generally what happens is they don't like to show any emotion at the time, but a little bit of that information is going into their brains and then afterwards they suddenly get excited about it. So... It's, but to me, it's one of those things where, yeah, we're kind of, we have a responsibility as, you know, the, the older chefs to try and to try and encourage them to learn and teach them as many different things as we can. And hopefully that's enough to, to push them on and make them excited about being better at what they do. But it's, yeah, it, it's a tough one. I think it's, yeah, I don't really know the answer to that. I'm sorry. I, I, but you know, in my own little special way, when I was an apprentice, I had great head chefs and they taught me well and they gave me books to read and, you know, they inspired me to, to be the chef that I am today. So I was very lucky, but mm. it, it's, it's few and far between, I would say. Do you, do you think we, like the, the culinary schools, obviously ICE does a great, does a great job that where we were that particular day when we, when you did the seafood showcase, like, do you think they have a role to play in maybe being better hospitality trainers of, of those apprentices? Because I guess if we rely on amazing chefs like you had when you started in the industry and giving you 
books and that kind of stuff, like if we continue to, if we maybe continue to have less and less quality training across across the industry, you sort of have what I call photoco- faded photocopy training. So basically, if you if you continue to photocopy a photocopy, it just yeah. becomes faded and faded and faded, and and you get less and so therefore you get less and less skill yeah. with 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 chefs. Do you think? maybe through TAFEs and through culinary schools, they could, you know, potentially step up and maybe maybe do an even better job in, in taking these apprentices through as well? Yeah, and I mean, a place, there's only so many places like ICE that we were at, unfortunately, and mm. there's also a lot of, there's far too many, I, I don't want to get into too much, but I, I think there's far too many training providers in inverted commas out there Yep. reaping the rewards of getting paid to supposedly train apprentices and, and they're doing a terrible job. Mm. You know, I've seen, I've been in places where they just don't even show up or it's like, yeah, we'll do on the job training with the apprentice and they rock in and say, Oh, g'day mate. How are you going? Oh, you know how to fill it a fish, don't you? Okay, cool. Tick that off. And then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's really sad. I think that, well, you know, and I encourage any, any apprentices these days that I come across to, push them to push their employers to at least send them to TAFE rather than, you know, going through some sort of train trainer that doesn't have their best interest at heart. They've ha- they've got money at heart. So like I say, I, I don't, you know, I'm not involved in it enough to know to, to be commenting on too much, but at the same time I have seen some really bad examples of people not being trained when they're supposed to be. Mm. One of the things I'd add to that as well is I think that for me, when I was an apprentice and I was going to, you know, back in my day, it was, you would go to, I went to Codemar in South Brisbane and you would go, you'd, you'd six weeks of the, of every year of your apprenticeship, you would go for six weeks of a six week block at college and then, and you'd learn a lot and do heaps of stuff. And at the time we had actually what I would consider to be really, really good teachers at, at TAFE then who, who I did learn a lot from usually like quite grumpy old German or English chefs who, you know, <laughs> would spend a lot of time pulling their hair out, yelling at us all. But one of the probably the most valuable things I found of doing, of going there was the the other chefs, the other apprentices that I met and seeing what level they were up to and having that little bit of a bit of competition between us of wanting to be the best at doing this or that, which is what you don't get when you, you know, you're forced into on the job training where somebody just comes in and, you know, ticks off stuff in your book. Mm. I really, I'm super interested in the fact that obviously you, you live in Queensland, you live in the amazing Sunshine Coast. Now, I obviously reside in Melbourne now, which is obviously, you know, so well promoted in the fact of the hospitality industry and venues and that kind of thing. But I've also lived in Brisbane and Perth and Adelaide, right? I'm originally from Adelaide. Like they're, they're, Parts of Australia which we don't talk about enough from a hospitality perspective. If if you were going to tell chefs who are listening to this, Matt, what some of the amazing benefits of living and working in Queensland and the Sunshine Coast specifically around with hospitality, like what what would be the benefit of, of living and working there as you see it? Well, I think from my point of view, living in somewhere around in the Noosa region or even generally in the Sunshine Coast region is that it's a tourist area, you know, where where we are. I mean, Queensland is a beautiful place to to live in the first place. So it's got that fact. But the thing that I loved about 
working when I was at working in restaurants in Noosa was the fact that people come here, like the majority of people that come who are tourists are coming here to eat. And so you've got this audience that's just like go to, arrives on the plane and lands and goes to the hotel room and then goes, right, feed me. And you've got, you know, I love that, that part of it. It wasn't, you know, it, it, they're excited about going out to eat and having an experience and that sort of thing. And so, you know, from a chef's point of view, that's, I, I love that about it. I love working in Noosa and, and having an audience that was just totally up for whatever you wanted to feed them. And, and also, I guess probably, and I, I don't think it's exclusive to the Sunshine Coast or Queensland. We have so much great, so so much great access to, uh, I guess, producers that we can get stuff from easily. So that's one thing that we've got here on the Sunshine Coast now is this great network of producers that have made it easy for us to get their stuff. It's no longer kind of. Oh, I'd love to use more local produce, but geez, I'm not going to drive to whoop whoop and pick up the chicken or whatever. It's it, all that stuff just comes to you now. You just need to be smart about how you set up those relationships and how you set up the logistics of getting the stuff to you. And it's so easy to, and so many places are doing it now. It's really such a lovely thing to see this upsurge in, you know, chefs going, okay, yeah, it's easy to use local produce, so I'll do that now. So that would, you know, from a, from my point of view as a chef, to me it doesn't make any sense to use not local stuff anymore. <laughs> and so I, I, you know, I, I'd i rather just, it, 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 the product that you end up with in the end is so much better than just buying generic stuff. And I think part of that to me also is the relationships and the stories with those producers, I have so many, I was just bringing around the other day, some of my producers and I realized how many of their, you know, phone numbers I have in my phone that, and looking back through texts and stuff to them that I've built up all these great, it's not just a, a producer chef relationship, it's a friendship. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a, a genuine, I guess, respect for each other's passion for what we do. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's something that's an extension of being a chef that that's super important in, in cooking today. Is it, is it hard? Cause I imagine you get pitched by a lot of new producers and, and new suppliers who sort of come to you with new products. Is it, is it hard to sort of get around and see these people's farms or, or where they're producing, whether you're producing amazing product or, or doing new supply, new ingredients or new supply? Like, is it, is it hard to sort of, making sure you're seeing what's new as well as keeping these existing relationships, which you've really developed over time? No, I think, you know, those, those relationships that you, you, when you meet new people and you have a little chat to them, I'll normally just say to them straight out, can I come and visit please? And then we'll, we'll, you know, I'll get their number and we'll tee it up. And I like riding motorbikes. So it's always a great excuse to have a country ride to go to someone's farm and, and check it out. So to me, it's all, I get two two benefits from it, but yeah, look, there's it's really not you know if if you if you meet a producer and you show some interest in what they do, then they're usually like they'll bend over backwards to make sure that they accommodate you to come and see what they do because they want you to understand what's involved in producing those strawberries or you know those capers or the macadamias or whatever it is that you're buying from them. And one that's the thing once you've once you've been to the farm where that particular person makes that stuff, 
every time you use that product, whether it's cracking an egg or whatever it is, cutting up a strawberry, it's about, it's, it's in your mind when you're standing there at the bench cooking it, that that's where you can feel that that's where that comes from. And it's, mm. it's something really, I don't know, I can't, and explain it terribly well, but it's to me that's a really important connection that I have now. It's really nice. Oh, in the research that I've done, you know, for this podcast, Matt, I had realized but didn't realize how much a focus of community is, you know, with your story. Can you can you talk us through, you know, some of the charity work and and community work that you do with your role now and and how you believe chefs can really benefit from that, like how they can build that into what they're about as well? Yeah, I look at, I think, you know, to me, you know, everyone knows what happened to me, you know, 12 years ago or so and what the amount of support that I got from just the entire Australian community, it was, it was quite overwhelming once I realised just how beautiful everyone was being to me. And in, in particular, the hospitality industry, every supplier, every ship, so many restaurants, they all had, you know, they all put on dinners and raised money and that sort of thing for me. And so, I mean, it wasn't the money that I, that was really, you know, that was what saved me. I didn't really need that, but it was, it was more the fact that when I was in that situation, I realised how many people cared about me and wanted me to succeed and, and keep on going, that was really the thing that, that got me through. And so it made it really a part of my, an important part of me that when I come across somebody else who's struggling or suffering, that I do whatever I can to help them in any way I can. And one of the things that I can do, that I'm, you know, that I was born to do and trained to do is cook. And often that's the case where, you know, somebody will call me and go, oh, we're having a fundraiser. Would you mind donating a dinner, you know, for some people in their home? And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. That's doesn't take me a huge amount. Don't everybody please contact me and ask me now if I'll do a dinner in their, somebody's home because <laughs> I've already done my quota for the year. But it's sometimes that, you know, that is a good fundraiser, but it's also for me, it's like I end up usually in those situations meeting some really great people as well. So, you know, it's kind of twofold there. And, but yeah, for me, when I can help, I do help. And I probably do say yes a little bit too often and then suddenly go, what am I doing? I'm, you know, I'm the, I'm the ambassador. I'm the ambassador for so many different things now. I've forgotten what I am ambassador for. So it's, I actually tried to write them down one day, but I, you know, I could, it's, it's, it's too hard. So I just kind of go, okay, when people call me, if I'm free and I can help, then I'll help. But that comes purely from having been in a position where I really needed help one time from everybody else, and they they jumped in in spades, you know. And just it was the the idea that there was that care for me that that's made me realise how important that is for others now. So yeah, look, I I just do I help out when I can, and cooking's what I do. So if cooking can help other people, then great. And you know, if you are a cook, you are a chef, then you and you've got the opportunity to help out your community. I, I go down on every once a month down to the Kin Kin markets down in the town where I live and, and just help out the in the community community group has their, you know, burgers and sausages in the morning and bacon and egg rolls and I rock in there and 
spend a few hours in there, you know, turning sausages and, and frying eggs and, and, and bacon and things. And, you know, it's like, yeah, that makes me feel good. I'm, I'm engaged then within my community and it doesn't take me much. It doesn't cost me anything. And, and I meet, like I say, I meet new people. I get to hang out with people and, and eventually they become friends. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of the things in the hospitality industry sometimes we lose sight of and I'm glad you talked about it so eloquently there because I remember when I owned a couple of bakeries in my early part of my career and we would give the leftover bread every day and then and also support the local community with either money or with product and and that kind of stuff and and seeing how a little bit of work from you and your team can just create change and I think the one thing we've learned from the last three or four years is how important hospitality is to community. And I think little things like that that we can do and, and you have to obviously make sure you're not doing too many dinners in people's houses, as you said. So, but the balance of that, I think, is really, really impactful, right? Yeah, it certainly is. And and without, you know, you know, sort of not going out there doing it to expecting praise, the satisfaction comes from, you know, from knowing that you've, you've done something that you know nobody might ever thank you for but you know that it's like looking to a teenager and expecting them to be excited like i was saying i suppose it's 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 not about that it's about feeling that happiness and satisfaction that you've done something good mm, totally agree the last question i want to leave you with maddie is like what what kind of legacy are you trying to leave the hospitality industry with now obviously you you know you've got a different role in the hospitality industry which is amazing creating so much impact which is fantastic to see. What kind of legacy are you trying to leave the industry with? Look, I think probably, you know, what has become my thing over the, the you know, probably over the last 20 years, I suppose, and what I'm passionate about is is trying to connect people to producers so that they understand and have respect for what's involved in, in creating and producing food. Because it's a it's a tough life, you know. I've just I've actually just come from my just before from my tomato producer, and there are a couple who just just work all the time, and there's always something wrong. It's either too hot, too cold. Something eats everything. A disease gets in. You name it. There's always you walk in there just fearing, asking them how they are, because you know that there's going to be something that's gone wrong with the tomatoes, and you go, wow, that people. You know, and we were, I was talking to them. They've got an honesty box out the front where you can just rock up and you can buy, you know, a bag, a kilo bag of tomatoes or whatever and drop your five bucks into the tin. And they were saying, you'd just be amazed how many people rock up and just don't pay or just drop, you know, a dollar in when it was actually $5 or just put in foreign money that they can't use. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And you go, that's just so, so wrong, you know. Yeah. And so I guess from my point of view, if there's anything in my legacy that, you know, that I would like people to understand more, it's like it, it is, it's getting to know your producers and that could be through going to farmers markets or visiting farm trails or whatever it is. But once you see what's actually involved in producing food, you're way less likely to waste it. You, you're far more likely to enjoy it. And, and you've got a, a newfound respect for those people who just log out every day. And if we don't have them, then we're, then we're screwed. Totally agree. What a great point to end on. Matt, what are you, what are you excited about before the end of this year? And, and what's the best way that people can find out more about all the great work that you're doing for the hospitality industry? 
Look, I I generally put stuff. I'm pretty bad at it, actually, to be honest. Social media is not really one of my great points, but I generally put stuff up on Instagram, Facebook, what I'm what I'm doing. But I have got a lot of different sort of events and things coming up before now and the end of the year. But what I'm probably most excited about is seeing. I'm sitting here looking out the window at this 14-acre property that I bought last year and all the fruit trees flowering, the mangoes, the avocados, the all the citrus is all in flower and seeing all the, you know, the stone fruit coming on, all the plums and the nectarines and everything, the pears in flower, and I just can't wait to see. It's going to be a different year to, to last year because last year was really wet. Mm. But for me, watching, that, watching those trees change through spring and set fruit is going to be just a beautiful thing, I reckon. I think we're going to have a... A bumper year this year hopefully but yeah that's that's become a big focus in my life now i've got two little kids i've got this beautiful property and and looking after it and learning about growing food myself is is a big focus in my life as well now amazing mate look all those links to everything that matt is doing is going to be linked up in the show notes of this podcast and matt just for me it's been an honor to meet you and and to have this conversation with you today through everything you've been through you've been an absolute champion and to be adding so much value to the hospitality industry and the people that support it every single day is a real blessing to have you doing that. So really appreciate it, mate. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Sean. I'm glad we got to sit next to each other at dinner that night. (laughs) Me too, my friend. Me too. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Take care. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed that one. I definitely know I did. And as we said at the end there, like it was by chance that myself and Matt got to talk to each other a couple of months ago. And I'm so glad that we got him on the podcast because as you can hear during that podcast, he adds so much value to our industry. Please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. That's the reason why we can keep doing what we're doing every single week. So we really appreciate you sharing it along. Thanks so much for tuning in and until next week, stay well, everyone. Now, if you feel like you can never get on top of your back of house ops, you'll want to hear about our sponsor for this season, Loaded. Loaded's hospitality management software has changed the game for hospitality performance in New Zealand and they've just arrived in Australia to help you do the same. Their everything-in-one-place platform helps you master your reporting inventory, simplify your recipe and menu management, reduce your cogs, and become an epic central hub that immediately puts you in control. I've seen Loaded's impact firsthand, and if you're running a bar, pub, restaurant or cafe, you need to reach out to their team. Check them out at loadedhub.com.